Good morning, everybody, and uh, good morning, everyone online. Glad that you're watching as well. <clears throat> I'm Zane Goggins. I'm the pastor, and I'm very glad to share the love and word of God with you this morning. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God for receptive hearts and minds as we listen to his word this morning. So if you want to bow with me in prayer. <clears throat> Father, I ask for eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that receive your love and your word this morning. I pray that everything I made up or everything that came out of my brain won't be remembered by anybody else's. And I ask that everything you have to say to us this morning would not just be received with gladness and joy, but also shape us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, so that the world may know who he is. We love you. We ask for the grace to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry if I uh, clear my throat a lot this morning. It's just that time of year, I guess. But uh, we are in the lectionary, and we're orienting our patterns uh, and stories around the patterns and stories of Jesus. And so far, we've seen amazing miracles. Uh, We've traveled with Jesus and the disciples up a very high mountain and were illuminated by his transfiguration. Uh, And we've been exposed to some teachings on forgiveness, some of which are easier to digest than others. And in all of these interactions that we have with Jesus, I feel like we're learning that we always have something to learn about him and his kingdom. We can't Master Jesus. It doesn't exist. He's always going to challenge us in ways that we, that we think about ourselves, that we think about our church, about our world, about his kingdom. And these words that we read from the Bible are, are 2,000 years old, but every week they tend to surprise us or they tend to challenge us in some kind of way. <clears throat> every week there seems to be a gap where I'm finding how I'm able to identify where my life and the life of Jesus just doesn't quite line up. And maybe you're feeling that as well. We're on some level, the more and more we read about Jesus, the more and more you feel like you need to pay attention to how you think and act and Uh, and to accept the reality of his kingdom over the ones that demand all of our attention all of the time. And if you're feeling that, even a little bit, it's a good thing. Every week we pray that God's love and God's word will shape us more into the image of his son. And this is what shaping looks like. It looks like noticing those small incongruencies in our life and being purposeful about allowing God to make us more congruent with his life. It's about allowing our faith to become the real and expressed thing on the outside. Uh, My personal hero, Eugene Peterson, he puts it this way. He says, the Christian life is the lifelong practice of attending to the details of congruence. Congruence between ends and means. Congruence between what we do and the way we do it. Congruence between what is written out in Scripture and our living out what is written. 
congruence between preaching and living, congruence of the word made flesh in Jesus and our life lived. If the words of Jesus are still surprising you, that's good. Together, we're going to spend a lifetime of being surprised by him, and together we're going to learn how to keep being shaped and molded into his image rather than any other image. So our text today from the lectionary is one of those texts that surprises a lot of people. It's one of those texts where a lot, and I might dare to say most, people in our culture will find some incongruencies when we read and what we believe and how we act. And today we're getting a parable from Jesus. His teachings, uh, he's teaching the disciple about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And this is something that Jesus teaches on a lot, probably because his kingdom is so different from all the other kingdoms that we like to submit ourselves to, the ones that we accept as normal. In chapter 13 of Matthew, there are seven parables dedicated to what the kingdom of heaven is like. And throughout Matthew, there's 23 parables in total. And all of them in one way or another teach us what his kingdom is actually like. Not the way all the other kingdoms that we submit to are like but what the true kingdom is like. And it's because it's so different that his kingdom surprises us a lot. And the parable about the kingdom today is so different from our culture specifically that many in the West consider this to be one of Jesus's most scandalous parables. Matthew 20, 1 through 16, that's where we'll be today. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. There's Bibles in front of you or under you. Uh, If you want to study the Bible together, email me and we'll set up a time or do it in your small group. Matthew 20, 1 through 16. For a little context of our passage today, uh, this text is a elaboration It's a further elaboration of the nine verses just before this. So just before this, there's a rich young man and he comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus, hey, what do I got to do in order to get this eternal life stuff that you're talking about? And long story short, Jesus tells the young rich man that he should sell everything he has and then give that money to poor people if he wants eternal life. And at the very end, Jesus says that the first will be last and the last will be first. The rich man is a first kind of person. And Jesus is telling him to make the last kind of people like him. But it was too much for the young rich man. And he went away grieving because he liked his stuff over building up other people. And so... Our text today is Jesus's way of elaborating on that statement. The first will be last and the last will be first. It's him teaching the disciples what the kingdom of God is like. It's a kingdom of reversal. It's a kingdom of opposites where first kind of people become last and last kind of people become first. And so we're going to see what that means to Jesus. And ultimately, uh, think what we're going to see is that the kingdom of God is not a fair place. 
And that's exactly how we want it. Matthew 16, one th- or math, sorry, Matthew 20, 1 through 16. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version this morning. <clears throat> For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual day's wage, he sent them out into his vineyard. And then he went out about nine o'clock in the morning. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. And then he went out again about noon and then about three o'clock and did the same thing. At about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because nobody has hired us. So he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those he hired about five o'clock came, Each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last group the same that I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first shall be last. You can probably see why uh, so many in the West call this parable scandalous. This one sort of goes against our uh, Western sensibilities, that uh, we earn what our work produces. Um, most of us either have a job or have had a job. So we all know the expectation is that most of the time you and your employer agree on a yearly wage. And then uh, by the end of a full year of working, you will have earned that full amount that you both have agreed upon. That's normal here. And for the most part, that's been normal throughout time, whether you're in the West or not. Uh, we earn what we work for. Uh, that's, that's what the kingdoms we live in say is normal. But this isn't a, king, a parable about our kingdoms. This is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. In this parable about the kingdom of heaven, we can imagine that it's December 20th. And two people have been working at the same company doing the same job, except one of them's been there for, since January 1st, and one of them got hired yesterday on, January, or on December 19th. And at December 31st, they both get paid a full year's salary. Imagine if that happens where you work. Do you think that middle and upper management would get a few complaints? 
I think many of us are going to answer yes to that because someone getting paid a year's salary for 10 or 12 days worth of work isn't really considered fair. There's a sense of justice that rises up in us that says, earning what you worked for is fair. Getting any more or especially getting any less is unfair. We like things to be fair. And this parable is scandalous because Jesus is making it feel like the kingdom of heaven is an unfair place. And the reality is, it is. The kingdom of heaven is an unfair place. The kingdom of heaven is not your employer. There is no compensation and benefits plan in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven isn't like our kingdoms where you earn what you work for. What Jesus is telling us is that the kingdom of heaven doesn't work the way that you and I would set it up. Is God fair? No. And that's exactly the point. Generosity isn't fair. Generosity is generous. Grace isn't fair. Grace is gracious. But do you know why I think most of us really think that this parable is so scandalous? I think it's because we never really seem to identify ourselves as the latecomers. There's no need to raise any hands, but when we read this story, how many of us imagined ourselves as one of the workers who worked all day? Right? We never seem to imagine ourselves as the ones who were hired late in the day who nobody else would hire. And if that's the case, then the reason this parable is actually scandalous is because this parable is exactly for us. Those who get caught by the story of this parable are the, are the ones who consider themselves to be longtime veterans of the kingdom of heaven. Why are we like that? Who says you're an all-day worker? You see, this parable only becomes scandalous when we start to think a little bit too much about ourselves. I've heard interpretations of this parable as, you know, being lifelong Christians and deathbed converts getting the same treatment in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, or in heaven. And yeah, that's probably a true sentiment about God, but for some reason, we're always the ones who don't need God's generosity because we think that we've been here long enough to have earned our spot. It's another version of the older brother narrative in the parable of the prodigal son. I've always been here, dad. Why didn't I get a celebration? The all-day workers are complaining about fairness. Jesus says that they grumbled. And in the Greek, that word grumbled is in the imperfect tense. And what that means is that they just continued to grumble. It was a never-ending process of grumbling. And they went to their employer and they said, you made them equal to us. But in a kingdom where the first will be last and the last will be first, those of us who all too often identify as all-day workers should be the ones joyfully exclaiming, you made us 
equal to them. The kingdom of heaven is not a place built on fairness. And that's exactly what makes the kingdom of heaven so wonderful. We do not get what we earn. In this sense, we are all latecomers. You're the one that nobody wanted to hire until God saw you and God brought you in and then dealt with you generously. The entire point of this parable is that God is not fair at all. And because of that, he does not deal with us based on what we have earned. It's not scandalous. It's gracious. When we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about a kingdom that is foreign to the natural self. It's foreign to all the other kingdoms that we live in. More often than not, God's kingdom stands in direct opposition to the kingdoms that we like to submit to. Think of all the great parables of Jesus. The the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, uh, the lost sheep, the rich man and Lazarus, Uh, the great banquet, the the wise and the foolish home builders, uh, the unforgiving servant from last week. That's just to name a few. Think of how many of them describe a kingdom that is very different from ours. They're all portrayals of what it looks like to live an alternative reality. Not, Not a theoretical reality, a true alternative kingdom to live inside of. And in each portrayal of this alternative kingdom remains one constant theme. The ruler of this alternative kingdom is absolutely good. Despite how odd, different, challenging, and impossible this kingdom seems, There's very little doubt that within all the oddness and the difference and the challenge and the impossibility, the truth about God is that God is good. One of the biggest questions that we must ask ourselves when we read through the parables of Jesus, maybe even this parable in particular, is would we really, really, really want God any other way. I mean, yes, it's, it's really hard to live such an alternative life, and oftentimes I wonder just how possible it even is. It's not easy to look like Jesus and constantly be challenging our definition of what good is, but would we really want God any other way than good? And I know that seems like a silly question, Of course, we want God to be good. We want God to be good, but good according to what we think is good. Oftentimes, we want God to agree with us or act in a way that we would act. We're good with generosity as as long as it's for someone that we think really deserves it based on our own imagination of what good is. And this is exactly the issue that the all-day workers have. They have their definition of good. It happens to benefit them rather than others. They want a definition of good based on merit. 
But merit can never be the standard of good because the subtle teaching in this parable is that nobody really has enough of it. What we really need is a different standard of good. And at the end of this parable, God actually gives us a definition. First, the landowner asks them a question. He says, am I not allowed to do with whatever belongs to me? You see, this is the kind of clapback that we get from God a few times uh, in the Bible, maybe most notably in the book of Job. Uh, in the book of Job, Job, he, he falls on hard times and he starts to question the goodness of God, something that God actually welcomes all the time, contrary to, to popular belief. But in this instance, God also speaks up for himself and says things like this in Job 38, brace yourself like a man and I will answer you. The Christian life and the Bible itself has always made room for questioning God. If anyone tells you differently, they haven't read the Bible. God welcomes our doubts and our questions and our suspicions about whether or not we think God is living up to our standards of good. That's fine and appropriate to do. But we also see in scripture that when we do raise questions, we should maybe expect a response. So the landowner responds by sticking up for himself. And then the landowner asks another question, one that's a little more revealing. The landowner says, or are you envious because I am jealous or because I'm generous? Are you envious because I am generous? That word generous is actually just a translation choice by the translators into English in the NRSV that I read and in the ESVs and the pews. They chose that word generous because it kind of helps us understand the point of the parable a little better, but the Greek word is agathos. It's one of those elementary Greek words that everybody should kind of know, agathos. Uh, In this context, it can mean generous, but the word just literally means good. Just means good. It's the Greek word for good. Are you envious because I am good? This is why we need a different definition of good from the thousands of definitions that you and I can come up with. Because the all-day workers were not just objecting to generosity, they were objecting to what is good. Not their definition of good, but real good. God is reversing our expectations of good. God is telling us that if we get too used to thinking of the kingdom of heaven as something that we can earn our keep in, then we are going to be radically disappointed when the entire world is is reconciled back to God. Because a kingdom where things are fair and people always get what they earn is no good kingdom at all. That's a kingdom that we made up but the kingdom of heaven is the great reversal of the things that human beings have made up. It's not fair. It's good. Would we really want it? And I mean really, 
actually want it any other way? It's not so silly of a question anymore. Do we want to prove our own worth and insist on that being the right way? No. Not when the alternative is God dealing with us by giving us so much more than what we have earned. If the words of Jesus continue to surprise us, then that is a good thing. It means we're still attending to the details of congruence in our lives and in the life of Jesus. It means that we're at least open to our faith becoming what is real and lived out, to live in the true alternative and not the theoretical one. The kingdom of God is a place where first kind of people are last and last kind of people are first. A kingdom of the reversal of all things, even our definition of good. And the good thing about God is that he's not fair. He's good. Let's pray, and then we're going to have communion together as a family. God, we thank you for this all the time, but we truly, truly thank you that you are good. We thank you that you do not deal with us according to our merit. You aren't generous on account of the things that we've done. You're generous because you're generous. You're gracious because you're gracious. Father, I thank you that you deal with us that way. Whether we just started working or we started working a long time ago, We love and appreciate your generosity to us. We ask for your graciousness upon the whole world. And Father, we ask that we, in turn, can show what your graciousness looks like to others. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.